Welcome to Destination Wedding Pod, a podcast all about weddings with an emphasis on destination weddings. Each week, we'll explore the ins and outs of destination weddings from the details to the drama and everything in between. You can expect foul language, us laughing at our own jokes, even when they're not funny, and straight up real talk. We are your hosts, Christina Kay and Laisha West. Strap in for an awesome episode. Today, we're going to go over some interesting facts about destination weddings and weddings in general. We'll also talk about the pros and cons of having a destination wedding, and we'll talk about some frequently asked questions. We're going to throw it back and forth like we did last week, though hopefully we don't have any horror stories about rogue farts this time. (laughs) Okay, Christina's going to go first. All right, so I looked up some interesting facts, and because you told me to, um, and I got (laughs) them from factsretriever.com, and here's the one. So we're talking about destination weddings. The top wedding destination is Las Vegas with 100,000 weddings a year, okay? Followed by Hawaii, which is 25,000 a year. And I don't have any facts on the Caribbean, but it is the third next. The bride stands to the groom's left during a Christian ceremony because once upon a time, the groom needed his right hand free to fight off other suitors. What if he was left-handed? That's my freaking question because I'm left-handed. <laughs> I know. So I'm pissed. <laughs> pissed. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Before COVID in the U.S., like how many guests were average? If you have this fact, you cannot look for it and then answer me. I think I do have this <laughs> fact, but it's I think I remember it being somewhere around 150. It's 175. So before COVID, the average wedding in the U.S. was 175. 175 guests. If you're paying $120 just for their food, that's a lot of freaking money. I don't even know 175 people. I do, but I don't want 175 people. I don't even know 75 people. (laughs) Or you don't know and like 75 people. (laughs) Okay, next. Uh, Before the 1500, couples in Europe were free to marry themselves. It wasn't until 1564 when the Council of Trent declared marriage was a sacrament that weddings became the province of priests and churches. I like this rule, though. I do, too. Because, I mean, who likes myself more More than than myself? myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Okay, so did you know that guests in ancient times would tear off parts of the bride's gown as tokens of good luck? And so this is where the garter toss came from. So I guess... We all want to keep our dresses and all that stuff for whoever. And so now that's where the garter toss came from. Because it, instead of tearing it off, they, you know, pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> In a very inappropriate way. <laughs> no offense to those of you who choose to have that. I tell my couples this a lot, but I didn't actually know that rain on your wedding day is actually considered good luck. According to Hindu tradition. That bodes well for weddings in the Northeast because lots of rain and like England and like lots of places where it rains all the damn time. Well, I've seen that fact, too. But then I also seen like pictures in them in the rain. And if they have like the umbrellas or like they can get some really cool shots. And there was some here that you did that was at a villa. And it was really cute because he had the umbrella and the way that they did the lighting and stuff. So, so pretty. So you can get some pretty shots if it rains and it's good luck. Yes, it is good luck. Okay, did you know? (laughs) I don't know why I'm going to preface it with that. But in America, 
a TV soap opera wedding attracts way more viewers, like 50% more viewers than the presidential address. That's quite sad. (laughs) And this is where we're living today. (laughs) A soap opera wedding. Okay. (laughs) We don't have to get into politics, but my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rings are worn on the fourth finger of the left hand because it was once thought that a vein in that finger led directly to the heart. And before I read this fact... I thought that that was still the case, I but too. I guess it's not. Okay, are we sure it's not? Because I thought it was too, but it also, when I, I've got this on mine too, but it said that it was once thought. Yeah. But I was talking about the other day when I first learned it a couple of years ago, and I thought that it was still the truth. So we're going to look into this further into the anatomy of the ring finger, human body finger uh, veins. And we'll let you know. I think an artery is the one that goes to your heart, but we'll figure it out. And Cardio. You know. Thoracic. No. No, we we're are not, not great surgeons. <laughs> <laughs> we we are surgeons because we watch Grey's right. Anatomy. So we'll get back to you on that later. Yes. Okay. So here's another one. Ready? Um. Okay. So way before the before what before time. So the beginning of time, <laughs> marriages were set up, and the husband or the husband's family would have to give money to the bride's family to do. And then later, the bride, I mean, that was the tradition, the bride's family or parents paid for the weddings or whatever. Well, now here in 20 or 2021, rather, 75% of engaged couples pay for their entire wedding. I think that's excellent. Me too. I Although, think that's really cool. I mean, I would rather my parents yeah, pay for my wedding, but <laughs> my husband and I did pay for our wedding. I did not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> One of history's earliest engagement rings was given to Princess Mary, daughter of Henry VIII. She was two years old at the time. What? Okay. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of wedding rings, 17 tons, 17 tons of gold are made into wedding rings each year in the United States. 17 tons. Holy hell. I know. I can just imagine a 17-ton wedding ring. I want that one. No, I don't think I can carry it around. <laughs> I don't know if that's big enough. <laughs> okay, Queen Victoria started the white wedding dress trend in 1840. Before then, brides simply wore their best dress. Okay, so Queen Victoria, yeah, her wedding cake was 300 pounds and three yards wide. Like, who the carried this wedding out of this wedding who made it number one three yards do you know what that is <laughs> do you have any idea how long that is okay since we're talking about that i'm gonna skip down to another one of mine queen elizabeth the second had 12 wedding cakes the cake she cut at her ceremony was nine feet tall and weighed 500 pounds oh my gosh so i thought queen victoria was doing things but not no nah. <laughs> okay, so then we're on that. I'm, I'm skipping around. Queen Victoria too. ain't shit. <laughs> yeah, she ain't shit. Well, okay, well, it's nobody's shit to compare to this. Ready? Okay. The most expensive wedding ever recorded was $44 million. Ooh. And it was the Sheikh Rashid and Princess Salama in Dubai. 44. Do you want less? Can we get a $44 million That'd be wedding? Great. Can we get a $1 million <laughs> I mean, wedding? Just, well, I mean, whatever. Can we way. just get a wedding? A wedding. <laughs> this point yes hashtag fuck covid <laughs> right 
The tradition of a wedding cake comes from ancient Rome, where a loaf of bread was broken over a bride's head to ensure fertility. And it sounds kind of aggressive. It's very aggressive. But I think that when they say broken, they mean like torn. Oh, okay. Like we're breaking bread. Oh, okay. Okay. And I have a small story about this because Tim, my husband and I went to the grocery store about a month ago and we got a really long French loaf and the freaking person that was bagging our groceries folded it in half (laughs) and put it in our bag. She just wanted to give you prosperity. That's all. I mean, now looking back on it, do you see that maybe she was looking out for your best interest? You do not fold bread. Um... So, the longest recorded marriage, we're talking about weddings, but Mm -hmm. these people did have a wedding, but it lasted 91 years and 12 days. Oh, my God. I know. Isn't that the sweetest thing? That's so long. Did they get married when they were kids? No, they got married. They were like 13 or 14. I didn't get the whole story, but they were like in their teenage years, but still, they lasted for 91 freaking years. That's sweet. You live with somebody for 91 years, like. You are doing big things. Hard for me to live with anybody for 91 days. An old wives tale dictates that if the younger of two sisters marries first, the older sister must dance barefoot at the wedding or risk never landing a husband. Okay, what if it's your second marriage? That doesn't count. So I just need to dance barefoot barefoot at all weddings? You weren't at my wedding, so there's that. So I'll just dance barefoot at all the weddings. Everybody from going forward. So do you know where the term groomsman came from? Where that tradition came from? No. Probably what? probably because you have it on your sheet. No, I don't. Um, well, back in the day, the husband and other like, I think it's like India and blah, blah, blah. But they kidnapped their their brides. That's how they work. I mean, they put a freaking sheet over her head and actually kidnapped her. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> yes. I have so many questions. It was a tradition. I didn't really look into it further, so I don't have any questions. But the groomsmen, so his friends helped him. Because sometimes it's really, you know, you get a wiry bride, it's hard to get him in the bag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he had his friends help him. And so that's kind of where the tradition of groomsmen came, because they would come to support him in his kidnapping and then support him, you know, to get him down the aisle. So, OMG, that is a scary fact. I, know. I for the love of... People back in the day hope that's not true. Okay, my next one. Flower girls traditionally threw flower petals in the bride's path to lead her to a sweet, plentiful future. So white is not worn in Eastern cultures because it's the color of mourning. So our color of mourning is black here. And so in Eastern cultures, brides have like these like red dresses and like orange and like it's really cool but the reason why is because why it's a sign of mourning and not purity like it is here that's interesting i did a hindu wedding once and the bride wore blue and gold and it was a gorgeous dress love that wedding so much a 2006 study found that altruism leads to marital bliss participants were asked whether they agreed with the following statements I'd rather suffer myself than let the one I love suffer. I'm willing to sacrifice my own wishes to let the one I love achieve his or hers. And the study found that 67% of the more altruistic participants rated their own marriages as very happy, while only 50% of the less altruistic were very happy in their marriages. 
Let's get those dishes washed. Right. So speaking of, marriage does more to promote life satisfaction than money or sex. Boom. Mm. (laughs) We're going to have to fact check that one. (laughs) Until 1912, if a woman in the UK committed a crime in her husband's presence, he was legally considered to have coerced her into doing it. Hell (laughs) yeah. It's always a demand. No, I feel like everything I... Yes, Mr. K, if you're listening, everything I did was your fault. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, it's getting awkward. So the original translation of the word bride is a proto-Germanic. So thank it's you. It's a Germ- what? Proto-Germanic. Ger- it's a. It's a what? It's an old German word. <laughs> okay. That means cook. What? <laughs> yes. Pissed. <laughs> you should be. Pissed. The largest ever wedding was a Jewish ceremony in Jerusalem in 1993, which 30,000 people attended. Wow. Can you freaking imagine? No, I can't. First of all. The money. No. (laughs) First of all, 10 people at a wedding is like herding cats. Can you imagine herding 30,000 cats? That's crazy. I will not. But also think of the money you I know. would make so, off that wedding. Right. We could do it from afar. Um, so this is my last fact. Almost a hundred percent of brides say that they would have spent more of their budget on entertainment. Eighty one percent of the couples say that's what they most remembered most. So we talk about like the food is what they remembered or the guests remembered or whatever, but it is those two things, entertainment and guests. So if yeah. you're planning a wedding out there, let's remember to Get our DJ, Tim West, involved. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So those last facts, I forgot to mention. I got them off the website livingnorth.com. So if you want to look more into those, that's where I got it. I have a couple of facts as far as numbers go with weddings. So 52 is the ideal number of songs on a playlist for a three-hour party. So if you're having a three-hour reception, you need about 52 songs to fill that time. But again, just hire DJ Tim West yeah. and he'll take care of it. Boom. 189 is the average head count at a wedding. Wow. See, you said 175. No, because that's what I found on factortaver.com. It said, but it's we're, we're talking about averages here. So, you know, okay. give or take a few. Don't yell at us. Pre-COVID, I mean, post-COVID, it's like, I mean, we can have 50 at this point, so. Or 10 in some places. Yes. 1,030 is the number of flowers required to decorate the average church, including 10 pews, two main displays, and an archway at the front of the church. And I was thinking about this one, and honestly, I don't think that's, that sounds like not enough flowers. Well, I had a smaller church, but we didn't have that many. I mean, it filled one cooler. Don't talk shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't a wedding winner then, so. Um, 256,920 is the average number of calories consumed by 120 guests during a typical wedding, according to the British Dietetic. Dietetic? Is that a word? Association. Okay. I'm probably saying that word wrong, but that's a lot of calories for 120 people to consume. 
Okay, that's all we have right now for interesting facts. It was very interesting. And now we're going to move on to pros and cons. Let's hear some pros, Sage. Pros and cons of destination weddings. Oh, pros and yeah, that's what that show is about. Destination. The destination, <laughs> not the journey. Right. Exactly. Okay. One of my pros is you get a big vacation with the whole family and your closest friends. Um, the very good pro, but also that can be a con because you actually have to, because that's one of my cons on my list, um, that you have to, you feel like you, they feel like sometimes maybe they have to entertain their family or like they have their wedding and then their families are with them at their honeymoon. And who wants your mom and dad next door on your honeymoon night? You know what I mean? Well, that's covered in my next pro. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a pro for me would be a smaller guest list because you invite less people. You're going to invite them people that are most important next to because when you're at home, you feel like I have to invite all my friends, my high school freaking in my college roommate, da, 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 da. Whereas with this, you're going to only, you know, invite the people that are important. Yeah. And that was my next pro. Oh. And so that means if you don't want to entertain them for the week or go on a vacation with them, don't invite them. OK, OK. Typically, destination weddings are less expensive than local weddings, again, since there are less people. That's the main reason. Right. So another pro would be how amazing the photos are and what an unforgettable, you know, if you have a church wedding out in, you know, your hometown, Gainesville, Georgia, it's all the same. But here you're going to have these beautiful, beautiful pictures, um, especially when you got the Caribbean backdrop behind you. Yeah, that's a good one. I actually have that one on my list, too. One of my pros is the wedding and honeymoon are all rolled up into one. And I know what you're going to say. That could also be considered a con because you don't get a special honeymoon. But you absolutely can get married and then go to another destination or move to a different hotel. Or a different island. I mean, if you're here St. Thomas, go to St. John. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of my, another one of my pros is that it's less serious and lots of fun. So at home, a lot of times we have to go with our, you know, our home church or the one we grew up with mm -hmm. or, and your grandparents are there and there's all these traditions that you have to follow where you come here and it's kind of, I feel like it's going to be more about you and it's more fun because it's on the beach. There's not all that stuffy, you know, church stuff, even if it is in a church because it's different and it's out of, you know, it's out of the ordinary. Yes. My next pro is being on a beautiful beach atop a gorgeous mountain or in a field of wildflowers is way better than being in like a banquet hall or a church. Nice backyard. But we do have beautiful churches here that we can do. Um, but it's always just better being somewhere else. So I don't have any more pros, do you? Yeah. Okay, I'm here. You get a wedding week instead of a wedding day. Ooh, I like wedding weeks. I like birthday months. I like to elongate anything I can. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, you can choose any day of the week. Right. That's definitely a pro. You get to save money on expensive decor because the view takes care of a lot of the decor. Mm -hmm. You don't have to wear shoes if you're getting married on the beach. I like that part. Apparently, I need to not wear shoes all over the place so I can not be a spinster. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, weddings are typically all-inclusive of all the vendors and services you'll need. So it's a lot easier to plan, especially if you have a great wedding planner. Like mm, Iron Matrimony? Hashtag Iron Matrimony. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's one of my cons if you're talking about that. How Because it 
some people are micromanagers and like to be in control, which is not a bad thing. It's I mean, it's it's a good quality in some ways. But if you have a destination wedding, you're planning from afar. So you have no control and you're not able to be quite as involved. However, that will make it a lot easier because all you have to do is show up and get married. Did you copy off of my paper? No. Okay. One of my cons, the second one on the list, because you already stole the first one. <laughs> uh, people you wish could be there may not be able to make it. Like? Like grandparents, like anybody. Maybe they can't afford it or maybe they're too old to travel or there are various reasons why they wouldn't. Um. So my another one of mine is that it's more costly for your guests. So the guests that can make it, it's going to be cost more for them because otherwise they just have to get in a car and come to the church. Now, because in most cases, couples don't pay for much. They might pay for one night or they may, you know, pay for their dinner of course it's taken care of but they'll have to bear more of the cost than they would normally if you were doing it from home mm-hmm. that's a good one um also one of mine so i think you really did cheat off me <laughs> uh the legalities of having a destination wedding may be different and more difficult than in the states In st thomas it's a tedious process but it's a simple one but as far as I read a thing that I'm not sure is true about Puerto Rico earlier today in that one, I mean, they have a lot of stuff and I don't know why it is because they're a territory as well. But we have an awesome efficient that walks everybody through the process. So I, don't, I think that it would probably be a little bit more tedious here, except for the connections that you have. Right. But some places make you get blood tests and things like that. So you don't want to, I mean, Just some places... Yeah, definitely look into it whenever you're planning to have a destination wedding. Just saying the U.S. Virgin Islands is the best. It is. So I only have two because you took some of mine, too. So we must have been copying off each other's paper. Um, but not being able to see the venue beforehand unless that you can afford. And some people do, and I love it when the couples can afford or even just one of them can afford to come down and yeah. see it beforehand. But that's kind of a thing. You're just kind of coming. Most of the time when a, when the couple comes in, they're getting married the day or two after they arrive. And so it's very quick and you don't get to actually know exactly what you're doing except for what you see from pictures. So, I mean, I guess that falls into the having no control, but especially with the control freaks, I'm sure that that's a difficult thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we don't get many control freaks. Which is my favorite wedding, (laughs) which is awesome. (laughs) Um, If you forget something, it may be harder to get it in your destination. So if you forget like, the groom's ties or um, socks or something like that, then um, it might be harder to find. And I have had people forget stuff, but thankfully there were people that were guests that were coming down in the next day that they were able to bring it with them. Well, and also I just recommend not wearing socks. If you're going to be over here, socks are just it. Sometimes they have cute socks for pictures. You know, it's hot, too hot. Um, that's, I have not much alone time, but I think we went over that one too, but you can schedule that. Yeah. Um, because my, I also, my, I could recommend like doing fun things for your guests, but if you do that before your wedding and have that scheduled, then you can also schedule time where you just have you and your happy. Yeah. And a lot of times the guests tend to leave you alone after the wedding day. So, but if they are there and you do have things planned, then they're, um, they'll leave you alone. Okay. Good. That's all I want to do. Take out that caveat because (laughs) I wasn't going anywhere with that. And also, most of the time, the guests leave like a day or two after the wedding. So plan to have several days after the wedding for you and your significant other. 
But my last con is travel delays could ruin the day. So we were just talking about the end of the wedding day. Now we're talking about the beginning. Plan to get there a couple of days before so that you do have time to retrieve your bags if they're lost or if there are travel delays or cancellations, you can get here. And that's all we have for destination wedding pros and cons. Now we're going to go into frequently asked questions and Christina is going to go first. Okay, so if we're planning a destination wedding, how far in advance would one begin planning? As far as like picking the day and sending out invitation, like, I mean, how far do you recommend, especially if you're having more than just the two of you eloping? Yeah, I would recommend at least a year in advance, but I've planned big weddings in less than three months. So, I mean, it can be get done because we have, it's a lot easier here because we have a small pool of vendors to choose from. And I mean, we can you know, figure out who's available and when and get Suzanne, get you guys married. You recommend a year, but it can be done within three months. That's right. the answer to it. And even less. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm a superhero. We can get it done. One of my frequently asked questions, should we do a site visit prior to the wedding? Yes. You should. Yes. If you can afford it. Yeah, exactly. So try when you're budgeting out, when you're planning your budget for your wedding, try to include that in your budget. But also, I mean, there's a lot of technology that we can do these days like FaceTime and Skype and Zoom and those types of things where you can actually see. And we've done that with a lot of couples and we're able to go to the beach and show them the beach. We're able to show them the reception area. We're even able to show them rooms at the resort that we use most often. And so like those things are, but if you can plan a little quick trip, I mean, we just had a bride last with like last week, two weeks ago and her and her mom came, they stayed for three days and they got everything they needed to get done. They tasted the cupcakes, they seen the site. And now they're home and they feel better. Yeah. About it. So. Exactly. So my next question is, when I, we've kind of went over this, but what are the legal requirements for getting married in St. Thomas? It varies from destination to destination. But as far as St. Thomas, basically, you need to fill out two forms. If you're previously divorced, you need a an original divorce decree. And other than that, you just go to the courthouse with your ID and you're ready to rock and roll. Okay, cool. When should we send out save the dates and invites? Do you know the answer to this one? No, I've heard you answer it before, but isn't it? I mean, once you know the date and you've signed your contract and you have definitely got that date for your wedding, then immediately, however long that is. I mean, even if it's isn't that right? Yeah. A day, once you have your day and once you have your location, like it, even if it's general, yeah. um, for example, January 17th in St. Thomas, it doesn't have to be the specific venue, right. but as soon as you know it, that's when I would send out the save the dates. And then the invitations? The invitations, I recommend sending out about six months prior to the wedding day. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, I think typically for local weddings, it's six weeks, but it needs to be a little bit longer so people can make travel arrangements, arrangements, have exact details. Take time off work. Exactly. Okay. So six months. Because I'm thinking if you do it too much longer than that, then people are going to forget. 
Right. So you have to do it in, in a way that they're not going to just throw it under their mail and then do it later or whatever, because then you're going to miss out. So that's a good. All right. That's a good. Yeah. And final numbers need to be in around two months, around that two month mark. So they have four months to make a decision. OK. So what is the difference? And this was a question that was asked. And I know it, but I'm going to let you answer it. But what's the difference between a travel agent and a destination wedding expert? Well, why don't you answer it? OK. So a travel agent is going to get you there. I mean, a travel agent can work with your airline tickets or however you're you're getting there and your accommodations. Those are the two things that travel agents are in. They can also hook you up with some of the other things like a wedding planner or those kinds of things, but they're not going to book those things for you. A wedding planning expert is going to do everything else. So we right. take care of the photographer. We take care of the cake. We take care of the venue, the efficient, the music the food, everything. And then we don't handle your accommodations, but we can lead you in that direction. So we can do pretty much everything that a travel agent does, plus them. So we are superheroes. And I'm just your trusty sidekick. (laughs) You're the Robin to my Batman. Who should be invited to the rehearsal dinner? I know the answer to this. The worst thing I've ever been through in my life, but your bridal party, your efficient and your musician and your couple. That's it. Is it the same for destinations, though? It should be. There's nobody else that needs to be there because they're going to be running their mouths on an opinion. And if they are not in the wedding, they don't need to be a part. Okay, you're talking about the rehearsal. You said a rehearsal dinner. So mother of the bride. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you tell me then. For the rehearsal, you're absolutely right. Only people that are walking down the aisle or are involved in the wedding in some way needs to be there. I will not do a rehearsal with a thousand people because I've had to do it before and it is the worst ever. So, um, but as far as the dinner, the rehearsal dinner for Destination Weddings, everyone should be invited. Everyone. Yes, because everybody traveled to get there. So then we wouldn't call it, then is that what we call a welcome party then? It That's would be... why we call it usually welcome parties or welcome dinners. The rehearsal thing freaks me out because I had a terrible, terrible experience <laughs> myself. And that just gives everybody a good chance to meet each other and mingle and, you know, get to know each other. Okay, and so speaking of that, what does the couple usually take care of for guests? So we've talked about this too, but let's... Yeah, that's rolled up into my next question, too. My next question is, do we pay for travel expenses such as flights and accommodations? It's a nice thought. I've had clients pay for their guest accommodations and flights, but it's not something that your guests will expect. And it's not within most budgets. So really what people expect is I mean, they're not they don't expect to pay for dinner on the night of the reception. And if you're having a welcome dinner like we just talked to, you shouldn't have them pay for that either. So the only thing that people really expect you to cover is the ceremony and the reception and any other dinners. But even like there are activities and stuff that a lot of groups go on and they can go or not go and they'll pay for themselves. So the bride and groom are or the bride and bride or groom and groom are not expected to pay for every single little thing that they do. Okay. Um what's the best way to make the travel less expensive for my guests? Well, I mean, I would look into the dates you're having it because there are no because there are um like like here from November through isn't it 
June. Those are I'd say the end of December to the beginning of um, January. That's the most expensive. Most expensive. Okay. That's when everybody comes down for Christmas and New Year. And it's a little bit more expensive from January to April, but the price typically drops between April and December. But so then that would be looking at the dates. Also, like looking into um, group packages and things like that. And then like with us, we offer for accommodations. If you book with us, we offer a discount with the resort that we use. So, yeah. And then again, as well, you can give them as much notice as possible so they can start saving up for it set up a block of rooms like you just referred to but i mean that notice is really important the more time that they have to plan for it the more likely they're going to be able to afford it okay okay so this is a really good question i actually didn't know this and then until i started doing our tips and stuff but traveling with your wedding dress so you go through all this shit and you pick out your dress and it's, you know, we'll say we get to David's Bridal. I remember mine right now. And the veil was in there and all this stuff. Before I knew the answer, I would just put that shit in my check bag and move the hell on. Please However, don't. <laughs> now that I know, you should always carry it on with you. So you carry your dress on the plane. Even if you have to play extra, you keep that with you <laughs> wherever you go. And then if even if it gets, because everybody's going to be like, well, it's going to get wrinkled and blah, blah, blah. Um, any good wedding planner will have a steamer and can help you get that where it needs to be. But keep it with you. If you have to handcuff it to yourself, you should keep it with you because things get lost. And that's the, that's the most, you can get the man's clothes. You can get anything you want. Really, you can get it. It's hard to get some things on island. But you cannot get your wedding dress that's been altered to for your body. So keep it with you wherever you go. Yeah. And that was my next question, too. And my answer is put it in your carry on. Okay. And that's exactly how I typed it out. <laughs> Do not give the airlines the opportunity to lose your wedding clothes. I would say that goes the same for the man's suit as well. So I would just make sure to carry that stuff on because that's super important. Super important. Okay, so my last question is, so, and I think that we went over this on our pros and cons, but maybe you'll have a better answer or different. But what are the reasons to have a destination wedding? I mean, why is it, why should somebody choose that, you know, rather than choosing to stay at home and do it there? Well, I think we did cover that in the pros. Oh, so you don't have anything else profound? No, it's just pretty. It's better than everybody else's local wedding. And you have to do less work. I will say, I mean, it is less work. It seems like it wouldn't be, but it is. All their yeah. views, that's what they say, that they came here, they went in their rooms. They they even, we have the makeup and, our, and hair come in and they walk out the door and it's done. So I think that it's easier and it's beautiful. So you're right. I was just trying to think maybe you're smarter than you are. <laughs> I'm not. Okay. I'm not smarter okay. than I am. <laughs> Um, what percentage of invited guests actually come to a destination wedding? Okay, I don't know this answer, but I do know that with regular weddings, from what I understand, it's about 60% of everybody that you invite. So I don't know what the difference would be on a destination wedding, but that's my guess. Whatever. That's the answer. <laughs> really? Yeah. I am smarter than I thought I was. You're smarter than you are. And I'm smarter than I am. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> really? 60%? Yeah, for destination weddings, I think it would be higher for a local wedding. So, from my experience, yeah, um, sixty percent with anything you do, but you have a hundred people that you're inviting to anything, whether it be a conference, a party, a sleepover, a freaking club, 
you're, it's just 60%. I don't know. I mean, even appointments, when you make appointments at like doctor's offices and eye doctors, 60% of people show. Isn't that weird? But it's a thing. You're probably wrong. I'm not wrong. You're not as smart as you are. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Just close. All right. So thanks so much for listening again this week. Next week, we're going to cover some beautiful and not so beautiful engagement stories. And I'm so excited. I love engagement. Yes, me too. Maybe you guys will get some fun ideas and what not to do when proposing to your significant other. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Please come back again next week and don't forget to tell your friends. Please help us out by subscribing to the pod, rating, and reviewing. Join us on our awesome Facebook group, The Destination Wedding Pod. And if you have a story to share, shoot us an email at hello at destinationweddingpod.com. That's hello at destinationweddingpod.com. We can't wait to share your crazy, hilarious, beautiful stories. Thanks again. See See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.